So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, journalist and author Sam Baker. In each episode, I'll be inviting an inspiring woman to tell us, warts and all, how it feels to shift. This week, I'm scoffing biscuits in the kitchen of best-selling novelist and all-round renaissance woman, Tasmina Perry. She's been a lawyer, a journalist, a magazine editor, a best-selling novelist, and now a screenwriter. I made my look by taking a deep breath and getting a prod in the ribs by my friend, taking a deep breath, and going and asking somebody and they could have been rude they could have blown me out but actually I would have never have known otherwise there are loads more gems where that came from as Tammy shares her wisdom on career confidence and why women in their 40s often get stuck at the amber light where career is concerned come on in the biscuits are lovely Tammy Talk to me about pivoting, because your career is defined by pivoting, isn't it? Do you know what? That word pivot, I hadn't even heard of it. Mind you, didn't Ross from Friends used to say pivot all the time? He did. Oh, he, did. he said he pivot did. when he was moving the um, bed. Or was it a sofa? Anyway, anyway, so my son, who loves Friends, uses that word a lot, but actually only recently it's become this word about people's careers, and it's absolutely me without necessarily realising that I was doing it. About six weeks in to, to my articles, as they were known then, I actually won a competition with more magazines. Sam, you know this story, but I'll tell it anyway. And it was win a date with two male models and you had to write a letter why you should win. And so I wrote, I actually wrote a quiz, sent it off, thought nothing about it. And the next day I know you have won. I went down to More Magazine and at that moment it clicked and I worked out this is what I want to do. So I told the partner, sorry Andrew Harris if you're listening, that I actually said I was going to a funeral but I put on a leopard <laughs> skin jacket and a cat it. suit and down I went to meet Jez and CJ, the two models. But actually they were great, they were really good looking but actually I was just fascinated in talking to Belinda Jones and Neil Cooper who were there from More And I knew at that point, this is what I want to do. So I kept on going, trying to qualify being a lawyer, which I did, um, but used to take regular holidays, go down, open envelopes. I won't say who it was, but I remember I did get to interview one celebrity. And I I went, yeah, I went down and he was like, so what did you think of the album in an American accent? And I admitted, as the naive 22-year-old, I hadn't listened to the album. So I was marched to Sony Records, to a booth, where I had to sit and listen to this very diva-ish rock, soul, singer. And then by the time I marched back to his hotel for the interview, he refused to speak to me. So that was my baptism of fire in journalism. (laughs) But it didn't put me on... You still got the job, though. But I I still did get the job. But I think back to the pivoting, it was... Sometimes we need permission 
to say mm. yes we need permission to jump and for me even though I knew I wanted to be a journalist it was very much I needed that validation of of, of winning the competition and of Belinda and Mari Arirden who was actually you know went on mm. to edit L of going actually your quiz letter was really funny have you ever thought about writing and it was like actually yes and so that was how that was my first pivot so you scroll forward you've edited more and then you move to in style had you always thought journalism is one of my lives it's one of my careers or did you just do it until something else came along or I think looking back at my career now I think I like having 10 years of really concentrated activity doing it to the best of my abilities but then possibly getting I wouldn't say bored is is the right word but wanting new challenges so when I was working at Instyle and I absolutely loved that job and it was a great office of fabulous women but already I could feel myself wanting a new challenge and also which is very pertinent to your book is I must have been 34, 35 at the time and realised where is everybody after 40? And so my boss at the time was Louise Chon, who is amazing. She is so smart and educated and chic. But Louise is a good 10, if not more, years older than I am. So she was always a real role model, but there there weren't many Louises. And I remember sitting there as deputy editor thinking where next you know you will get put out to pasture at some Mm. point you possibly will get kicked upstairs you certainly won't be allowed to have the big editing jobs or that was certainly my sense I think it's different in America where the Anna Wintour's can keep going until 70 or it used to be but even now things are definitely changing but I definitely got the sense that there was an ageism in the industry and I had to start planning my lifeboat so when I actually went on honeymoon that's when I started writing daddy's girls because even then it wasn't so much an age thing as a lifestyle thing and thinking you know I'm 35 want to start having children as soon as possible I've only got one um how do I make work and a family life work for me beyond 40, beyond 50, beyond 60. And I didn't see that career being journalism. And it was actually quite prescient because obviously we've both seen, we can talk about this later, how the magazine industry has changed even in a decade. Really interesting to me that at 36, you were sitting in a senior magazine job thinking, I don't see that there's a future here for me. Absolutely. Um, Do you think that was the industry or do you think any men were feeling like that do you you know what do you think that was because that's a really big thing isn't it you're not even halfway nowhere near oh it's young I mean we look back now and think 35 36 oh my god (laughs) that's young oh my god that's young I don't think there was any obvious ageism going would somebody have been penalized going for a job as, say, editor of Cosmopolitan at 50 rather than the 30-year-old? Not sure. Actually, I think Louise, who did go on to edit Cosmo, she was definitely in her 40s. So it's not that older women were not getting the jobs. They were. But it was when you sat down and scanned the room and and thought, 
where are people my age? This industry actually isn't talking to me anymore. That's when I knew I had to make a leap somewhere else. And you leapt really successfully into writing, um, I want to call them bonkbusters, but you might not like that. Blockbusters, but... not bonkbusters. <laughs> but I did love... I, I beet reads, yeah, they, they, were, they were beet reads, absolutely re- pure really and simple. Yeah. glossy, glamorous romps. Yeah. And they were really successful. Yeah. And then two years ago, you decided you were going to write psychological thrillers. Yeah. Was that part of your pivot or is this pre... I think that might be pre-pivot, pre-your next pivot. I think that happened because it was. it's back to what we were saying before about I am definitely somebody. And I think being happy in life is about knowing who you are and accepting who you are and realising what stimulus you need, whether you are somebody who can start a job at 21 and go through to 65 doing the same thing. My mum was a teacher for 40 years, didn't move to schools very often and absolutely loved being a teacher. I couldn't have done that. That I think it was actually Liz Gilbert, wasn't it? The, the author who said you are a hummingbird or a jackbird, I think it was, but one was yeah, it? One's, uh, it, yeah, one's the deep... Jackdaw, yeah. One's the deep diver... And one is the person with a more fluid view of the world and they like going and and drawing the nectar from lots of flowers. And I'm definitely the hummingbird, which is why I spend half my time when I'm not writing, going and listening to talks and museums and because I like that sort of intellectual curiosity. I like a big world view and I like I like change, actually. So so that's me. So I'm the hummingbird. So why did I move to psychological thrillers? Well, of course, I was not in law anymore, but I'm still a lawyer at heart, I think. And I've always sort of liked the discipline and the detail of journalism and books. And I always wanted to write quite a dark book, to be honest. And I was rewind. I think I've told you this story before. I actually had my agent get in touch about seven or eight years ago. Are you interested in ghostwriting and it was like actually maybe maybe not probably not it's quite a big gig ghostwriting you know depending Mm. on who your subject is it can either be relatively easy or it can be an absolute pain in the ass so I said well okay I am writing big thick books because the airport novels were really big at this point sort of 170 180,000 words long which an average book is about 90 so it was it was Mm. I was doing a lot of work yeah, it's two uh, books, right? It's two books, two books. Who is the, who's the subject? It's Donald Trump. And so it was like, oh, okay. So he had a book deal to write a trilogy and was looking for a ghostwriter. What, fiction? So, fiction. So I thought, I'll throw my hat into the ring. And to cut a very long story short, I was rejected for not being big enough. So I don't know who they were after. Forgot all about it. Six months later, I get another email saying it didn't work out with person number one. Are you interested? Because they'd read a book had come out that had done quite well, actually. So called... were they after him being Sidney Sheldon? I Do you know what I think? Well, it was, a, it was... From what I could glean from the project, it was a series of novels based around a Trump Towers type thing. And you know what? On paper, I was probably the rightish sort of person to do it because I was writing about rich people getting up to no good and intrigue and 
So from a professional point of view, it was quite an interesting process. So we got further down the line, and obviously this was before he got into politics. He was still doing the show at the time. Did you meet him? Didn't meet him, but the offer came through. I thought he had scoop then. (laughs) Damn it, no. But I offered to do it, I agreed to do it, and we got into negotiations, but the money was not great, I'll be honest with you. And I walked away, but clearly I hadn't read the art of the deal because he (laughs) walked away too, and therein um, began and ended my project with Donald Trump. In fact, it was, I mean, to this day, I kind of think, should I have done it? Actually, probably not. I, yeah. But that made you feel that you wanted to write something a bit different. Yes, yes. But what, what, so thank you Donald actually it did make me realize that actually with a bit of organization a bit of discipline I could probably fit another project into my working schedule and so that sorry to interrupt you your working schedule already had one novel a year that was twice as big as anybody else's novels and your son yes but you know what mum just gets shit done doesn't she (laughs) And that, that's always been my motto, to kind of push yourself out there and do what you can. And if something excites you, just go for it. So, so yeah, so that's that's where we are with the psychological thrillers. And I absolutely love that. But, you know, it was something we talked about before we switched the mic on. Knowing yourself. I, I'd like to think I'm always going to be a writer. But I've also been doing this about 14, 15 years now. And so it's time for another act. It is time. It is. It's time. I mean, do you call that do you call the law first act? Who knows? I mean, actually, I always think it was a bit like at the start of marriage, the law. That was that was me working out what I didn't want rather than what I do want. Whereas I always want to be doing something in the creative sphere. But you know, we probably both had a lot of conversations recently and these are quite difficult times for anybody yeah. in creative fields. But actually, if you are, if you look at it through a different prism, you could kind of think these are actually really exciting times. And I think if we sit down and I've got my lovely recliner chair that my lovely husband hulked all the way upstairs, it's now my thinking chair. And I just really just try and think about it's a really simple question that I think we all have to ask ourselves post 45 um what is it you want and it's a really simple question but we don't ask it enough of ourselves and I think it's a very movable feast what do you Mm. want what do we want can be different from one day to the next absolutely so what was your answer to what is it you want it's strange, actually, because, I mean, we go to Cornwall on holiday a lot and we always call it our A303 drive. And yes, yes. these are the questions that me and my husband always talk about. What it, What is it we want? Where do we want to go? And I did it last year and I really decided that I wanted to write a cookbook or start a cookery blog. Now, Sam, you know me, I love my food. I don't necessarily love cooking, <laughs> but I love it. It's the magazine Me that loves the lifestyle and the curating food and a sense of place. But then when I dug a bit deeper, it's like, actually, I don't particularly want to write the cookbook. For me, when you dug deep, the cookbook was symbolic of wanting just to nest a bit more and to spend more time with my family. So I think these are the questions that we have to ask ourselves, not just what do we want, but why do we want it? And have we moved out of a of one period of of our lives into the next one and 
you know, for me, I've got a son who is 13 now and he needs me less and less is the truth of it. And so I feel myself moving from role of mum to being cheerleader and supporter and trying to make my son the best person he can be but also using it as a time to kind of revisit what I want as well now I've got a little bit more bandwidth to to think about those things and to do these things and for you that pivotal time for you was about 45 so yeah so started writing novels at 36 so I've been writing now for 14 years so, you know, entering into my, gosh, what is it, sixth decade, um, I always want, always been interested in TV, always loved TV. And I have found, well, I've got a fantastic um, manager out there now that, that came Out there in LA. Out there in LA, because aforementioned mine, Film Rights got sold to sony in a really exciting deal and that is in production who knows whether the thing will ever materialize but it's enough to it's a little glimmer of excitement and possibility out there so i went a couple of weeks ago and had the meeting with the manager and he's like actually you are exciting because even though i've always had quite a can-do attitude there's still a little voice in your head thinking, am I allowed to start new things like this at my age? Because this, TV script writing production is is almost as much of a young person's game as magazine publishing was 15 years ago. Am I allowed to do it? And he said, actually, you're a fresh and exciting voice precisely because you're not a 25-year-old Straight out, straight out of film school. Brilliant, which which is fantastic to hear. And so, whether people really mean that, you know, he does. He thinks I'm exciting. He's taking me on. Um, But yeah, I think there's room for all sorts of voices. And it always seems to me madness, Sam. I mean, you must have found this editing magazines yourself. Advertisers have an obsession with millennials, don't they? And it's like, actually, where's the money? Who's Spending these days, you know, millennials do have disposable cash, but it's really difficult if you're in your 30s now, particularly if you're trying to buy a place or London rents particularly are just astronomical. Whereas if you're in your 50s, you probably haven't got the responsibilities of childcare anymore or children. It's possibly you on your own or with your partner. But I don't feel as if we're being targeted by anybody, actually, whether it's by TV channels or beauty companies. It's we're, I don't understand. And this is great. We're having these conversations why we are the forgotten demographic and what do we do about it? Because we are really loud and potent and thirsty. You know? yeah. <laughs> I think, oh, I have I have lots of thoughts about this. I I think that there's how do I put it? Let let me go back. I when I was when I was thinking about the shift and that kind of period in your life post forty where you kind of have a potent, the opportunity to reinvent. I I think one of the things it boils down to is that that thing that runs through diver- society when we talk about diversity, which is like you can't be what you can't see. And so one night in the summer, I watched TV and I counted the number of women on TV um, over 40 and then again over 50. Over 50, there were two. 
and one disembodied voice, which was a very old woman upstairs shouting down in a TV ad. I mean, really? Two in a voice. And that, I think that is, shows how women, older women are treated right, right the way through in the fashion industry, yeah. in the beauty industry. I mean, the beauty industry pays more than a nod to us because, you know, they can always flog us an anti-aging cream. But there's never any celebration. And so it's, it's really cheering to hear you say that your agent said you were exciting and new and interesting. Actually, something has happened. I've had my shift literally over the past few months and I'm suddenly feeling powerful again and ready to go. Um, and it's exciting. And you mentioned the dread M word. Yeah. P M word. Yeah. Um, how have you, how has that manifested itself? Well, there was a definite throwing of a slipper the other day. And, <laughs> and I was, I was at mum's coffee morning this morning, actually. And I said I was coming to see you, my old mate, and we're, we're, we're talk, doing the podcast. And the M word will probably rear its head. I said there was the most ridiculous episode on Saturday when something, the most innocuous thing happened. And my husband, and we all get wrong really well, little nice little threesome, three gang, three gang, the Perrys. He sided with my son and something clicked because mum is often the bad guy and dad is the good guy. And I would kind of had enough. And this the this rage happened and I picked up the nearest thing in frustration and threw it onto the ground. And it was a slipper. It was, it was so pathetic because it was a slipper sock. And it's yeah. like, but something that wouldn't have bothered me two or three years ago. I just had to get it out. So there's little things like that. Everybody's heard about menopausal rage. And of course, when you've got a teenage son, it's like these two things colliding of teen mm. attitude and, 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 and menopausal mum. But menopausal rage and the um, hot, flushes flashes sweats whatever you want to call it they're kind of the cliche things that you yeah. hear about menopause and they're cliches because they're true yeah know, they're true but at the same time um one thing that a lot of people experience is a kind of a lack of confidence mm. and uh, anxiety and depression have you had any of that do you know what? Not really, actually. Because, again, it's it's back to my dad. When you are brought... So I always say to everybody, just put a little document on your desktop and it says, why not me? And those words are so empowering that doesn't. it's not necessarily confidence that holds me back, but just, can I be bothered in a way? <laughs> yeah. Because... It's, it's back to the what is it that I want? And, you know, were you the same? Because you've worked in loads of big, busy offices. Do you want to do the daily commute every day? Exactly. That's me <laughs> making a great big eye roll. Exactly. <laughs> so when you're sort of 45, 50 plus, perhaps not what you want to work as, but how you want to work also changes. So that's really important, I think, thinking about um, what's holding me back for some people, that's confidence, and it's absolutely Sam an issue, and it really gets me down sometimes. I did um, a talk at a nearby hotel recently, and it was like a mum's lunch, and a lot of the people who were there, I would say, were between 40 and 55, and I turned up with the standard, you know, how to write a novel speech that is, is down pat now, and there was a little drinks reception beforehand, and we were chatting and they were like so what's the speech about and I was like oh it's it's uh it's how to write a novel thinking everybody's going to be clamoring everybody's faces went blank I just knew 
this is not what they want. So I was like, okay, so you clearly don't want the how to write the novel talk. What What is it you want? And Sam, every single person who I spoke to in that, that little collective at the, at the pre-talk reception said, I haven't really got any confidence at the moment. I want to do something, but I don't know what, and I'm not sure I've got the confidence to do it. So I had to stand up and really give an off-the-hoof thing about saying yes, actually, because they are the most important words. Just just say yes. So you completely changed your yeah. talk just on a... On a dime, yeah. So it was, it wow. was, I had to wing that. And it's only because I'm a good witter that I could. But you know what? I've just told them lots of things in my life that have happened. And again, this is something, something else, you know. But it wasn't quite the winning the competition with the two male models that got me into journalism. It was actually between law school and articles I used to work at Granada Studios Tours in the hot dog caravan. Sam, I could make the best Westler's hot dog in the West. And this band used to come and dance so outside. So you can cook. I can cook, actually. Yeah, maybe the blog should be just called Hot Doggy or yeah. that. Um, uh, maybe not. Or maybe not. <laughs> or maybe I could get in all sorts of trouble for that. Um, can but, you imagine the Google history? Oh, gosh. Oh can you imagine these things all, with the hot dogs and Trump? It's all going to come back to haunt me. But this band used to come and dance outside the hot dog caravan. And I, me and my friend Kerry, we, we quite fancied them. And... Didn't know who they were. We used to call them red shoes. And it must have been two or three weeks later, we were in a cafe in Manchester and they were there. Red shoes were there. And I was like, I really want to be a journalist. But to be a journalist, I need somebody to interview. I need a portfolio. I, I kind of knew enough to know that. And um, I went up to them and, and Kerry just said, just go over. So I just needed that person just to go, just do it. And so I took a deep breath and I went over to Red Shoes and I tapped the guy on the shoulder who looked the friendliest and said, hello, I've seen you outside my hot dog caravan. I think you're great. Can I interview you? I want to be a journalist. And the guy said, of course you can. Sit down. My name's Rob. And it was Robbie Williams. And, and Red Shoes would take that. people would say oh yeah but that you're so lucky Tammy that that happened to you but this I made my luck by taking a deep breath and getting a prod in the ribs by my friend taking a deep breath and going and asking somebody and they could have been rude they could have blown me out but actually I would have never have known otherwise and that's why these are really interesting times we're living in and there's a great book called the hundred dollar startup which I've read a few times and that's kind of all you need to start a business these days. I mean, for everybody that's having to go through, I remember how, you know, it was hoop after hoop, wasn't it? Getting all the, the VC funding for, for the for the pool. Oh, yeah. It was like, it's almost like the work was in mm. the funding to get to do the work. And then the work kept being in the funding. Is so that it right? Oh, so did, fulfilling. Oh, so you just kept having to raise and raise and raise. So it becomes one big conveyor belt, presumably, yeah, yeah. Of, of this. Don't do what I did. That's the moral of the story. But then out of it came a ton of lessons for you. And actually, you realise that perhaps you don't need the millions anymore. You just need an idea and 
somebody, whether it's yourself or whether it's a friend or a partner or somebody here in passing that just goes, yes, you can do it. And so long as the stakes aren't high, so long as you almost minimize the risk. So, you know, for me to go up to Red Shoes and say, can I interview you? What was the risk there? The risk was him saying, go away, you idiot, you still smell of hot dogs. But he didn't. It was like, it was Robbie Williams, you know, call me Rob, it was at the time. So Busking outside Granada Studios. Busking outside Granada Studios tours, yeah. So so pivoting, I think, and changing is actually becoming easier and easier in this days because technology's made, you know, you can get a microphone, you can. I've got a friend who who has made many millions of dollars um, self-publishing books so she's turned that industry on its head and has made things happen for herself so she literally at the age of she was go pushing 40 has completely revolutionized her life actually by being a self-starter and just by telling herself she could do it so at the moment my inbox is completely full of emails from women some all between about between 40 and 60 and they are predominantly saying I, I haven't got much confidence they are saying many of them are actually saying I haven't been asked to to write about myself or to tell anyone about myself for such a long time I've almost forgotten how to so how would you for that woman who's listening to this now and is saying oh, that's all right for you I can't do that I haven't got that confidence I haven't done anything for me for decades, how do I start doing something for me? I suppose it's starting small. And do you know what? Don't you always think we put on, certainly as mums, as women, we can be really hard on ourselves, actually, and we take on a lot. You know, when you think about all the things you've done and, and, and I've tried to do, it's we try to juggle a lot. You know, even if you've got kids, if you haven't got kids, we are master jugglers, I think, but sometimes that tips into being quite hard on yourself. And I think the second we flip that on its head and try and be kind to ourselves, that's when I think you can make that shift, actually, because confidence is taking a step forward, but actually not beating yourself up if you get it wrong. Because Yeah, that's the hard thing. Yeah, you know, that it? is really hard. But it's like, actually, who cares? I saw on your Instagram the other day you posted that great quote from, is it Liz Gilbert? again who yes, said yeah. something about in your 40s and 50s you realize be your own person essentially but actually by the time your 60s and 70s nobody gives a who anyway so yeah I'm sam is gonna, now reaching for I'm the instagram phone because i love this quote i read it and it actually it made my day it, it really did lots of likes actually um yeah i'm gonna read it it's a quote from Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic, and it's, we all spend our 20s and 30s trying so hard to be perfect because we're so worried about what people think of us. Then we get into our 40s and 50s, and we finally start to be free, which is so true, in my experience, because we decide that we don't give a damn what anyone thinks of us. But you won't be completely free until you reach your 60s and 70s, when you finally realise this liberating truth. Nobody was ever thinking about you anyhow. So the truth is, your gran was right. Nobody's looking at you. Except for you. And it's your gaze that is the problem. Absolutely. And so be kind to yourself because actually you're the only one that matters, really. And so whether 
you feel as if you're not allowed, you can't, you haven't got the skill set. If you just take that deep breath and approach red shoes in the cafe, whatever that may be, starting a podcast, starting a business, doing a retail thing. I mean, my mum, as discussed, was a teacher for 40 years and then went on and started her own little business as well. She's had a great time doing it and she started all sorts of fun things. And it's the older you get, we do become a little bit more stuck in our ways but who speak for yourself well love. but i think i do think it's a society thing but we're only putting ourselves in those constraints and actually you know i packed myself off to la a few weeks ago and went and had meetings for something that i'm literally the oldest person probably trying to do that by at least 10 years but actually you find out when you take the chance but you be kind on yourself and realize if it doesn't work so long as I'm having fun, I am scratching an itch, I'm doing something I've always wanted to do, then it can only be a good thing. How important is it, do you think, to have a supportive person in your life? Because you do have a very supportive partner, don't you? He's great, yeah. If it's your husband, fantastic, or your partner, fantastic. But it could be a mate. And I've got some friends who often veer towards the... um, not very sensible side of life but they're my dreamer friends and I always come away from from those people feeling really energized and actually I think in people's friendship mix you should have the maverick the creative the dreamer the person who will go go on have a go the person that will say yes and it's almost you know we, we've spent many a many a, a, a magazine party haven't we in a corner plotting and planning yeah. and you know you know you do I'm have the plotter, you're the plotter the plotter yeah. friend and do you know what absolutely you need to have the plotter friend because plotter friends help you make things happen or not you know this is yeah. it it all comes back to be kind to yourself what is it that you want because for every person who is in their 50s who wants to start a new business and more and more, I mean, I've been with all my friends, School of Gate friends today, they are desperate to get back and do something, not feeling very confident about what they can do. But equally, I think you should be happy enough to say, actually, I don't really want to do something. I want to go and do loads of courses and enrich myself in another way. But I think people are more and more opening themselves up to defining success on a very personal level and not saying success is having a partner, having children, having a great high-flying career. Success is what you want it to be. And if that is turning your back on professional stuff, so be it. You know, you have to downsize, but it means you can live a more creatively enriched life writing novels poems courses whatever i mean we're in really interesting times as i say at the moment just what our contemporaries are doing at the moment and there's lots of people stuck at the amber traffic lights yes and they're ready to go and they're really ready to go sam and I think we've just all got to help each other, actually. What do you think stopping them? I'm going to assume that most of the people at the amber traffic lights are women. Correct. Why Correct. do you think? Why do you think we are hanging around the amber traffic lights and not putting the pedal down? There's not a right or wrong answer, and actually, you know, I don't know the answer to this. 
I think some people are stuck there because of confidence. I think some people are stuck there because it seems like bloody hard work to do what they want to do. Whether, you know, I've got a friend who wants to become a therapist. Well, a few friends actually that want to become therapists, but it's bloody hard work to do that. It's mm. it's doing another degree. It's doing a lot. It's actually going into therapy yourself. It is taking a lot of extra courses and perhaps that isn't, they're not quite there at the point in life when, particularly if you've got children between, say, 13 and 16, you th- your parenting isn't done. You want to, it's actually really crucial years these for keeping your kids just on the straight and narrow and just being there for them. And even though they're not little kids anymore, just trying to be a good parent. So lots of people at the traffic lights perhaps are mentally ready to go, but actually their lifestyle or their life and their responsibilities at that point is just holding them back. So they're sort of almost like still in the pen, ready to go because the kids still need them or parents, you know, where there's there's lots of demands at this end at the moment. Um, So from parents. From parents, God, yeah. As your children are sort of, you know, coming out of the perhaps heavy duty stuff there, you've got parents at the other end. So we are in this sandwich generation. of. So that's another reason why you're at the traffic lights. And that exponentially affects women, doesn't it, as well? The caring. The carers, as the the, the carer. So why else are people in the pen? And also it is, and this is why I think community is so important. It's because we again, sometimes can be guilty ourselves. This isn't just this isn't just women of a certain age. This is men, this is kids, this is are we thinking bigger big enough? Are we thinking broad enough about what we can do and about what the possibilities are? Because a lot of opportunities we don't even hear about. We don't know what are out there. And it's only by putting yourself out there that you find you could potentially find something that you really want to do. The opportunity presents itself almost mm. rather than you go out and make it happen. Well, it's like you were saying earlier about when you're a kid and you think, well, yeah, but a kid like me can't be yeah. a journalist or can't write a book or yeah. can't do anything. But there's also the other thing, isn't there, which is money, which yeah. get, women are, you know, it's just a fact that women are worse off financially than men and so are more likely to be hamstrung by that and all those are cold hard realities but if we dial it all back and sit in our thinking chair and actually really think about what is it we want there are ways of doing things that perhaps you know for instance take take being a therapist so being a therapist is going to be expensive you you know the degrees cost the ma's the ma sorry i'm tapping the ma's <laughs> cost the you know everything costs everything there's a there's a price on everything to qualify and some people are literally not in that financial position to do it most people are not in that financial position to do it but actually what is it about the therapy work that you want to do is it about making a difference is it about community is it about trying to feel really fulfilled on a daily basis so there could be parenting courses there could there's there's cheaper ways easier ways to achieve the broad strokes of what you want to do so it's giving ourselves don't you think that time I mean how did you decide to just sit down and write the non-fiction book was it was it strategy was it sitting down and thinking about it how do we arrive at decisions 
Big question. Uh, big question. In my case, it was losing my job. <laughs> yeah, well, some decisions Slightly. are forced. Some decisions are forced. I thought I would write a non-fiction book proposal because I didn't think my brain was in a space where I could write fiction. So I wrote a non-fiction book proposal, which nobody wanted. But during the course of writing that, two things happened. One was I learned how to write a non-fiction book proposal, which is very, very specific, um, huge. They're enormous, very different from fiction. Um, but also what came out of it was that lots of people said they would be interested in a book by me on a different a different subject. So I came up with a couple of other ideas and my agent went back to those editors and said, are you interested in this, that or the other? And they all went, we love the shift. We love it. Um, and it was something that was really, really close to my heart. And then the more I spoke to other women, kind of north of 40, about what was happening in their lives, I could see that the shift really, really was a thing. And whether they were premenopausal, perimenopausal, postmenopausal, they were all saying the same thing, which is that I am changing and change is being forced on me by my hormones. Change, you know, women are really actually brilliant at coping with change because our whole lives are change through, you know, puberty, childbirth, if you have children and just how your hormones impact on your everyday life and then perimenopause and it all goes away. And it was so interesting talking to women about what they didn't know about menopause. Like I didn't know very much about menopause when I went into perimenopause and how they felt after it. And this kind of surge, if you like, that I have experienced this year, um, which was probably the real kick that got me doing the nonfiction proposal, a real surge of actually, this is me. And I think weirdly, whilst I would quite like my 26 year old body back, um, I wouldn't go back to being 26 or even 36. I think 20s are really hard. Your 30s are all that, will I, won't I have a baby? What am I doing wrong? For me, it was going from one job to the next and rightly or wrongly, you know, burying myself in that. My 40s were a bit shit. Now I'm 53 and I feel like, yeah, I feel more confident and I'm like sitting up straight and everything and more aware of my own capabilities than I ever have before and that has that has all happened this year so I think it's all those things together but I don't think you have to go through the extreme the extreme of well, like you, a business yeah. collapsing from under you to um, have that experience it might be something else and quite often people talk about relationship splits or leaving jobs or big changes that they can't separate from the hormonal shift going on in their life. What you're saying though, isn't it? And I'm not a, a woo-woo person, but you were you were open to listening and you were yeah. kind of, you know, you were open to where things were taking you. You were listening to what your own voice needs were telling you. And then once you're honest enough to have the conversation, like me throwing the slipper sock, <laughs> actually everybody else is having the same conversation. So... Yeah. It's listening, isn't it? It's it's always put, being you're in a journalist. and But I think that conversation is, again, this is something that has come up from so many women. That conversation is, um, it's not necessarily so easy to find. I mean, yes, there are, there are blogs and there are Facebook groups 
and all of that. But if you're not a person who joins Facebook groups, if you're not a joiner, you know, if you're just a coper, then that sense that actually loads of people are going through something like this or will go through it or have been through it. I mean, I interviewed someone on the phone this morning who had this brilliant analogy that I'm going to steal. I will credit her in the book, but I'm going to steal it now. Um, and she said, I just wish that everybody didn't keep saying we were in the same boat. We are not all in the same boat. What we are is we're a flotilla and we're all in our own little boats going in the same direction. And everybody's experience is different. We don't all expect to have the same periods. We don't all expect to have the exact same experience of childbirth. So why do we expect to hit 45 or 50 or 55 and all have the same experience of that? And I just thought that's a really good point. I don't want to over elaborate the analogy, but we're not all on a big liner going over there. We're, we're all having our own experience of the same thing in a different way. And we can all, just talking about that just makes a massive difference. And it's as well, it's been, we don't all want the same destination. We don't all have the same wants. And I think it's, it's realising that and it's being open with you and having the confidence to be open with yourself actually because you know but everybody goes on about social media and all the negatives of social media there's tons of positives about about social media but it helps us it makes us think that we have to be a certain way or what success looks like and I think once you get into your 40s and 50s you realize you don't have to be doing what everybody else is doing and actually that end game isn't my end game so for every person that wants to start a business at 50 like I know Ariana Huffington who when did she start Huffington Post she must have been early 50s must have been must have been yeah and then by mid-60s, she sold it for hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. So but every person who wants to live out those ambitions of success, there is somebody else who wants to downsize their house and move to the countryside and take up pottery. And that's fine too. But I think it's been open and honest with ourselves. What, again, it's about that question. What, what is it we want? Yeah, I'm feeling entitled to ask that yeah. question. Yeah, yeah. And actually, if you've got a partner being on the same page, because that's mm. when difficulties arise, when people do want. I think, don't you think as well, In I've seen too many people in their 30s and 40s being obsessed with status. And mm. so much is driven by status, I think, these days, whether it's keeping jobs that make us unhappy because mm. of 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 how it looks, our, yeah. our labels of, 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 of achievement... And don't you think once you hit 50 or you're about to hit 50, that starts to disappear? It's like, it's back to that thing. Do you really give a shit about what people think? Well, I think it is that kind of, it's a bit of a cliche that once women are older, they, they give zero fucks. I mean, I can't honestly say I don't, uh, you know, I don't give a shit about what people think of me or what, or that kind of thing. But I do... I am more self-contained in what I think. And I, I definitely think that that's a thing in in older women that, you know, well, that might work for you, but it doesn't work for me. And that's, that's fine, you know. Whereas, like you say, when you're in your... I mean, certainly when most of my, you know, most of my big career changes through 
editing different magazines through my 30s. And I, that's what I was driven by. Looking back, I don't really understand why, but at the time, it was, it was the be-all and end-all. One thing I think is really crucial, though, moving forward, and Sam, this is, this is your duty as the podcast host, is to just speak to loads of women who are actually out there doing stuff and doing interesting stuff and doing it not at 30 or even at 40, but at 45, 50, 55, because there's, we all want to hear it, actually, because it's back to me watching Barbara Taylor Bradford in Manchester Waterstones mm. in the cloud of perfume. It's like, I can do that. And so far, I mean, you know, there's been lots of steps made forwards with seeing different voices and different faces across all manner of, of medium and media at the moment. But actually, I'm not sure we are holding up as a society older women yet as as role models when we're quite different, we're quite unique as a culture. If you go to the Far East, we are the elders. We are the elder states, <laughs> we are the wise people. But I think more and more older women doing interesting things should be championed by the media across across the board to be honest well it's that um it's the thing isn't it about invisibility and I do think whether or not you feel invisible I think there's a a sense in the aging process for women speaking for myself where aging is tied into irrelevance and so there's a fear of aging because there's a fear of becoming irrelevant and if you could see around you that people weren't becoming irrelevant you know then it it would take away some of that denial, if you like, of of getting a bit older. We were talking earlier about the fact that Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon have a combined age of ninety six and produced, you know, Big Little Lies. What Reese Witherspoon's doing with her production company, you know, when you start thinking about that, there are lots of older women quietly doing their thing mm. and being ignored. So I think it's our responsibility to to. Get it to get it out there to be the silent ninja. Actually, the plan is that I'm going to end every podcast with um, a series of questions I always ask that are a bit more general. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, what would you, if you could tell younger women one thing, what would it be? To always ask yourself, what is it you want? What is it you want? to not be afraid to change, to have confidence in yourself and your ability, to be kind to yourself and be kind to others. And it's that cheesy phrase, but there's a lot of truth. Is it Oprah? Just just live your best life. It is really. Oprah, yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Who's your old bird role model? Gosh, old bird role model. That is... That is hard. I've never met her, and she's probably a very different person to me. But again, Ariana Huffington did not. She was already wealthy. She was already connected. But she had the balls to go out there and create a business from scratch at the age of 43, 44, 45, when regardless of how um, connected she was or wealthy in her own rights, I bet a lot of VC people turned her down, actually. Mm. And you see the same with, with Tina Brown. You know, all these sort of women who are way into their 60s now, but 
I kind of think whatever those women do or women like them, whatever they do will be interesting next. And they're not letting age become boundaries at all. They are producing things that actually go across all boundaries. They're actually tapping into a spirit and a um, a spirit of women, of women who want to be generous to themselves and to others. And yeah, just want to shake it up and actually just... They're doing new, exciting things. When Tina Brown did Daily Beast, she was pretty ahead of the curve in terms of digital projects. So she wasn't leaving it to the 25-year-olds to do that. She was deep into her 50s and was doing that. So I'm always really inspired by people who are taking on the young people. Uh, What would your superpower be? Oh, my gosh. This Um, is my favourite question ever. I've been asking this question for years. Yeah, but my my son is obsessed with... with, with, um, Marvel and DC, yeah. so we have this quite. They have this a lot, and we've touched on it once before, actually. And it's probably the invisibility thing. Even though when you're in your late forties, going into your fifties, it's almost a cloak that society puts on you. The invisibility thing, but actually, you want to be invisible because you can make mistakes without the glare of people looking at you and judging you. Let's be honest. Um, and yeah, just just go about my own business. Even though I'm, I did a quiz once. Are you an extrovert or an extra, an introvert or an extrovert? And I was on the extreme end of extrovert. Actually, the older I get, I kind of I like my own space and I like doing my own things. I'm really happy. Mm-hmm. Sam, you can see it. My little swingy chair and just yeah. nobody's looking, and I'm sitting there thinking and plotting and planning. And the last question, which is a really silly one, the last question. How many fucks do you give? Oh, my God. Well, do you know what? Did you see how I almost said zero You fucks? almost did, and then I you almost said, but, but we're here to be honest, because I think everybody needs to be honest. I think there's so much bullshit around at the moment about we look at Instagram and everybody's lives are fantastic and wonderful and we're all achieving so much and everybody's doing brilliantly. Actually, I do care what people think sometimes, particularly people who's opinion I care about so I don't exactly give zero fucks ultimately I do but I think if we're all totally honest with ourselves we still want to please people so Mm. for instance I still kind of want to please my dad you know it's really important to to please people still and I, I hate myself for it but I think we should also be really honest with ourselves about what is a human reaction at the end of the day. So while I wish I could be this kind of kamikaze person who just jumps off and doesn't really care what anybody thinks of me, the honest answer is I've got a little half eye on it. Ultimately, I don't give a hoot. And in a way, there is a part of me who's that girl from Manchester who kind of just wants to go like that. Just I'm actually sticking the finger up there and just goes, actually, you can do it why not me so that's brilliant thank you tammy perry tasmina perry to you yeah can we get back on the biscuits now yeah let me (laughs) hang out in your kitchen and eat your biscuits thank you for listening i'd love to hear your feedback you can reach me on twitter at sam baker and instagram at the other sam baker using the hashtag the shift you can hear a new episode of the shift each week on acast apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate and subscribe because it really does help other people find us.